It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to episode 185 of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the main event to my UFC 300, Nicholas Jonathan Braccia the third. Nikolai, it's good to be on with you, brother. Yeah, I suppose. You, you're, you're just going <laughs> to no-salt me? You're just going to no-salt me like that? Yeah, I'm all excited. Uh, I'm bringing the energy, I'm Nick, all, and you're all like, yeah, I suppose. I used all my energy last night watching CM Punk come back to the WWE. This is what you're wasting your energy on, is the WWE, which is now owned by the same company as the UFC. I mean, Dana White is basically... Well, I mean, I, I like giving my, my energy to, to CM Punk rather than you. CM Punk was was talented enough to compete in the UFC. You were stuck being a... A, spa, a sparring dummy. It's at underground, you know, underground gyms in the, in the seedier boroughs of New York City. Sparring dummy is not not the term I would use, Nikolai. But for the record, I would, I would whoop on CM Punk like ten years ago when I was a fraction of as good as I am now. And CM Punk on his best, a Nick, I would whoop on him. And I'm talking about a pro wrestling match, not a uh, a predetermined pro wrestling match, not a mixed martial arts bout. Yeah. Okay. Please say so. Whoop his ass, I the, Nikolai. I saw, I saw the power of Phil Brooks in the octagon. Yeah, I, I actually, um, like, I wasn't a pro wrestling fan so much in the CM Punk era. Uh, it was more the, uh, you know, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Undertaker, Triple H. Those were my guys. The Attitude Era. As yeah, but back, back when they were six foot eight and steroid up and not just steroid up and normal human sized. CM Punk's normal human. What are we talking about? He's supposed to be a giant. He's supposed to be the Hulk Hogan. He's, he's a regular person. A regular human being. He, he does look like a regular person. He's, he's got a little sass, um, but, you know, only gets so far. So, Nikolai, we're going to break down UFC Fight Night, Dariush versus Saryukian, which is a pretty fantastic card. What's particularly exciting about this one, uh, and I say pretty fantastic for a Fight Night card, what's particularly exciting about this one, Nikolai, is that this is taking place in front of a crowd. The bad news is it's, uh, it's the Texas Athletic Commission which is genuinely concerning for many, many reasons. But, uh, but this, this should be a good one, man. There's, like, guaranteed violence in a few of these matchups, and um, the odds are a little bit wonky at times, but, but you know, things are relatively interesting. It's, I think a lot of these fights are rather difficult to pick. Yeah, I mean, this is a fun card. I'm excited to pick it. A couple of dogs here worth looking at. Are they indeed. Nikolai? I'm going to quickly check. This is something that we should do before the show. I did not do this before the show. But I'm going to quickly check which one of us is, is making the first pick on this one, Nicolicious. Let me see here. <clears throat> Your mom told me it was my pick. I don't even... This is mob stuff. Like, what are you, two? Jeez. So you, t- you took Gabriel Bump theme as your first pick, which I remember uh, telling I like you, Nick. A- I remember saying, Nicholas Dalby is a live dog. I can't, I'm so glad you picked that first. The only reason I may have not been glad is because I would have picked Nicholas, Nicholas Dalby eventually. Uh, not because I was super confident, but because he's a fucking rugged, tough-to-finish individual who will put the pressure on you. And he did, Nikolai! Um, it's my first pick this time, and I don't know if this is the best card to have the first pick on, but I suppose I'm going to make the mistake of taking none other than... Uh, this is ugly. I'm going to take Joaquin Silva to beat Clay Guida. Clay Guida, pressure wrestler, endless cardio in his heyday. 
pretty durable in his heyday, has gotten submitted a whole bunch of times. And you know what Joaquin Silva does really well? He's really good at catching a guillotine as you dive in for a takedown. Clay Guida's going to give him that opportunity. If he doesn't give him that opportunity, if Joaquin Silva, with his athleticism and explosiveness, is able to avoid takedowns, he should be able to hurt Guida on the feet. And Guida's been buzzed several times. Guida's been submitted a bunch of times. And, you know, Neto BJJ is Joaquin Silva's nickname not much of a bjj guy in the ufc so far outside of those guillotines and guillotine attempts but he gave a hell of a motherfucking fight to armand sorry you can last time out and if you're going to be competitive and put our armand sorry you can in some tough spots um in your last bout you're probably going to do okay against the 63 year old clay guida having said that walking Silva, not a young guy himself i believe he's about 35 what you got boy sorry i was muted uh, a lot of tough stuff to pick uh on this card here I'm. Ugh. 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 Yeah, I guess I'll I'll hold off on that. I gotta go with uh, I gotta go with Adolfo Bellato over uh, Igor Pateria. Very well. Uh, I agree with the pick. I think Bellato is a pretty tough guy. He can be hittable at times, but the fact that he went to a pretty competitive fight in his first contender series bout. Uh, against v- Vitor Petrino, and he like hurt Petrino and dropped him at one point. He's really known as a graft player, Rodolfo Bellato is. He's also really good in the clinch. He just puts it on you in the clinch, man. Um, tough, gritty dude. Not the greatest defense because he's hittable, but he can he can pull some things off defensively. Um, Team Noguera guy, um, like again, looks a little bit sloppy at times, but he's very powerful offensively. So uh, I tend to agree with you on the pick. And Igor Pretoria is kind of a glass cannon, right? If he can get it on you, he can do some things, but... You know, his record is filled with really shitty opponents, and Shogun Huan is uh, way past his heyday, um, and that's really the only reason he's got a UFC win as of now, and <clears throat> I'm not confident in him in this matchup. But I do think the odds are way too wide apart, considering Hihor Pretoria could just, you know, land a few bombs, and that could that could be it for this fight. My next pick is going to be in the matchup. This one's too wide. This one's too wide. I mean, some of these odds are rather, rather redonk, Nick. Redonkulous, if you will. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take Punahele Soriano to beat Dustin Stolfus. Stolfus is a decent grappler, um, and, you know, he, he can tough it out at times if he doesn't get blown out of the water. Punahele Soriano, like, he's got the wrestling background, trains at Extreme Couture, pretty decent boxing, and, like, he's heavy-handed. The thing is that he struggles against really slick opponents especially if they can avoid the majority of the takedowns he's a guy that gets tired but like keeps fighting through it and does not give up on himself and I think Dustin Solfos is anything but a slick fighter could this be like the revolutionary win of his career where you know he comes through as a as a big dog in in you know after after a UFC losing streak yes but you know he's bottom of the rung middleweights in the UFC and Ponejo Soriano is just a step above that what you got boy uh, the odds are close here, but I'm going to go, listen, her wins are not great, but I'm going to pick Julia Avila over Misha Tate. I feel like in this comeback, like Tate's already taken a couple of not terrific losses and she came back to be in the main event. She came back to have like a title run. I feel like she's, you know, she's, she's fighting out a contract here. Um, she's not at, at the level to really, uh, compete like this the sports kind of moved on i feel like she's underpowered um at this weight class and i would say i should say even at this weight class and i just don't know if she's got a, a modern ufc um win in her she beat the you know the 40 something year old uh, marianne renault 
but since then she just has has looked kind of uh, listless and like she's from a previous generation. Um, I don't, you know, is she gonna like Julia Vila is no is no world beater, but there's if she's got any hunger at all, um, this is an opportunity for her to get a win that get that gets her, you know, on subsequent cards. She she doesn't really have a trademark win. Her wins are over. Um, uh, like yeah, Gina Mazzani and uh, Julia Stolyarenko. Um, uh, she does have a win against Nico Montano. I forgot about that. Um, in another in another division. So I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with Avila here mostly because I don't uh, have a ton of faith in uh, in Miss Miss Misha Tate. Yeah, I mean it's tricky because Misha Tate. You know, retired, and you know she got that hail mary. Probably shouldn't have happened when to win the title over um, over Holly Holm, and that was just like the trademark for her. But then everything went downhill after. In fact, she went on a two fight losing streak and went on to retire for several years. She actually, Nick, she she won the celebrity edition of Big Brother. So like, she's got some craft to her. She's got strategy. She can build social relationships, right? But that shit isn't necessarily going to help you in a high I level. Like, I, I've always liked Misha Tate. Yeah. I wanted this comeback to be exciting, and she has. You know, listen, she's got the win over Holly Holm, win over Sarah McMahon, win over Jessica I. Like, she's got the win over Liz Carmouche. That's not nothing. Like, no, but it, but it's um, not, but it's yeah, not, but it's, but it's a, not elite. It's previous, ge- yeah, it's pre, it's just, it's just previous generation. Yeah, like, and yeah. the way she looked, the way she looked against Lauren Murphy was not good. No, and especially given where we know where Lauren Murphy is compared to the best on the planet, right? But she did have a fairly competitive fight with Caitlin Barra. I know, like Caitlin Barra won most of those rounds, but it was a competitive fight. It's just Caitlin Barra was also kind of listless in that matchup, and I think it was hard to figure out where Misha Tate was. I also think Caitlin Barra has a psychology thing where, and you know some used to see this with like some of like Uriah Faber's fights and stuff. People who were better fighters, I don't want to say fought down because of the notion of somebody, but I I think um I think Caitlin Vieira can get can kind of get in her head a little bit. And I yeah, think that maybe definitely. she thought like it's like watching the and listen, I love Jen, Jens Pulver, but <coughs> and Faber did this against Jens Pulver. Like their first bout was pretty darn competitive. I think Faber was very cautious. Um, in some ways, in the second fight, he was like, "Let me just go after this guy and finish him because I can." Yeah, and he did. Yeah, like, and, and, that, and that shows you the bar- power of the mind when it comes to mixed martial arts, right? It's it's you realizing what you're capable of doing. Same thing with Volkanovski. He didn't think that he could. He wasn't sure if he could avoid takedowns early against Mahashev. He wasn't sure if he could get up off his. You know, if he was taken down against Mahashev, once he realized he could do those things, once he realized he was at least a str- or about as strong as Mahashev. He got way more confidence and yeah, it opens up going new dimensions. Exactly, yeah. Yep. So here's oh, yeah. the thing about Julia Vila, though. She's coming off a two-year layoff. She herself is 35 years old, Nick. And you know what? There's this there's this curse that's been extremely consistent in the UFC. If you take some time off to have a child and you have a child and you come back, you're going to lose that first fight back. You might even make a run after that, but you're going to lose that first fight back. We've seen that with everyone. For, uh, although Misha Tate might be the exception because she came back years after she had her kid and she faced a 40-something-year-old opponent who was never really top five uh, material. Um, and so Julia Villa, not only is, is she in that circumstance, but she also, um, from what I understand, she either got kicked out of or left her gym. 
that she was training at previously. And so like, how are things going to be at this new place? By the way, uh, just looking at pictures of Avila's daughter, she, she looks, she looks quite a bit like my, my youngest daughter, Skylar, and she's gosh darn adorable. Um, I'm going to pick Julia Avila. It's just a lot of question marks considering, you know, considering she's coming back from having like, it is a tremendous, tremendous wear on your body having given birth, right? Like it is, it is a huge, huge, uh, change in your, in your biological, in your biological, just your, your, your physiological self, your, your mental self. So many things change once you've had a kid, uh, like, especially for that year, 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 or two years after. And so you got to wonder where she's going to be, but you know, if you're going to have a matchup against the name coming back from this kind of situation, it should be somebody like Misha Tate. And so that is fortunate for her. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jalen Turner and Bobby Green. Jalen Turner is extremely dangerous. He's extremely tall for this division. I think he's 6'3 at lightweight, which is absolutely insane. I don't know that he made weight in his in his last matchup, and he's taking this fight on short notice. Let me see. He did not, in fact, make weight against Dan Hooker. He was he weighed in 158 pounds, and I think that was also maybe somewhat of a short notice situation. Um, and in this matchup, he's taking this on relatively short notice as well. It's not a catch weight, and he's a decent-sized favorite over Bobby Green. He's replacing Dan Hooker. Uh, the guy who just beat him and quite frankly put it on him over the latter portion of that fight after after um, J- Jalen Turner looked pretty good early. But, you know, he's he's on a two-fight losing streak. He lost a split decision to Dan Hooker. He lost a split decision to Mateos Gamrot before that. And I thought he should have gotten the Gamrot decision because he simply did more damage throughout that fight. And Gamrot was able to control him. But again, the damage was on one side. And that's what's supposed to be valued over everything else. I'm going to go with Jalen Turner. Is he super durable? No. And we saw Bobby Green coming off a knockout win, you know, in a situation where he was a big underdog in that matchup uh, against Grant Dawson. He's on a two-fight winning streak. Granted, one of those two fights is against Tony Ferguson. So not exactly super impressive stuff. But even prior to that, Drew Dober, he was piecing Drew Dober up really badly before Drew Dober knocked him out. Right? Islam Makhachev, nothing to be ashamed of getting getting smoked by him. And, you know, he's got a couple wins that he put together prior to that. Ally Quinton, Nazar Hakpras, Rafael Fazia, if he looked really good in the third round again. So these odds are a little bit wide given the circumstances. And But I'm still not willing to pull the trigger on Bobby Green. If I knew that Bobby Green just like suddenly hits extremely hard, I probably would have taken the ride on him because Jalen Turner's chin is not all it could be. Jalen Turner doesn't respond well to pressure. Bobby Green doesn't pressure. He's more on the back foot. Um, and, and so I've got to go with the much, much taller, much younger man who is still developing and still improving and still fighting at the elite level competitively versus the guy who, you know, has seen better days. Like if you, if you look at the, you know, the, the, the no contest against Jared Gordon, he was getting pieced up by Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon's a good fighter, right? Not, not a whole lot to be ashamed of. Um, Tony Ferguson about, you know, he had bad moments against Tony Ferguson, arguably was knocked down by Tony Ferguson. So there's good and bad in every one of these performances for Bobby Green. I'm going to go ahead and trust in Jalen Turner, even on short notice. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got a feeling I, I'm riding the Bobby Green train still. Uh, yeah. Um, so looking at... For, for the record, Bobby those. Green seems like he's on the Tony Ferguson trajectory of getting crazier and crazier as he gets deeper and deeper into his MMA career as he takes more damage, as, as there's more miles on him. Dude is just like every interview you see of him, he's absolutely bonkers. And seems to be consistently high on probably just marijuana, but still like seems to be consistently under the influence of something. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Drakkar Close over Selecki. Close has not been active. Yeah. Um, I guess he did fight. He had two fights against not very good guys last year after taking a f- after taking two years off. Um, you know, he had the Dariush loss and then the Jeremy Stevens event. But, um, you know, wins over Bobby Green, Lando Venata. Like, I've always thought that Dracar Close uh, 
was re- was really good. He was maybe a little arrogant when he first came in, but I I've liked I've liked what we've seen from him uh, since the Darius fight, even though those it's been against lesser competition. Um, I don't think he's that. Like I don't know that he's gonna fall into uh, Selecki's game. I think he'll mostly be able to stay. Uh, most people to stay on his feet, and he's, I think, going to be by far the much better uh, striker and have better power. Um, so I think I think he just avoid I think he avoids getting sl- subbed and probably w- either gets a finish or um, does enough damage on the feet to win. Yeah, it's uh, it's entirely possible that that is the case. And Drakkar Close, like given his experience, if you look at his record, thirteen two and one, and he's been competing in the UFC for a long time. Right, like that is nothing to be ashamed of. That's a fantastic UFC record. He's but very, very sporadically. True. Well, lately in particular, right, where where like he had that weird Jeremy Stevens neck injury, where Jeremy Stevens pushed him aggressively in the weigh in, and and he apparently hurt himself, uh, got hurt enough to not be able to compete the next day. He lost to Benil Dariush in a fight that he was quite honestly like pretty close to finishing. Dariush, Dariush's heart and will just like persevered. His experience persevered, and he ended up dropping Drakkar close. Um, but you know, if you if you look out outside of that, Rafa Garcia is a decent win, but it's not that high level. Bobby Green is a pretty good win. Landon Vian, eh, Landon Vianna is not not an impressive win, but like he, he doesn't really have that high level win rate. But he's lost to David. Taylor. He doesn't. But Joe Selecki is not high level. Joe, well, Joe Selecki, when it comes to his offensive grappling, is pretty high level, right? And and you're right. Sure, that, that's he, his that's not, his skill. Yeah, yeah, and and the thing about him is that, like. I, th- I see a big hole in in uh, Drakkar Close in this matchup specifically, right? Drakkar Close tends to give his back up, particularly when he's defending takedowns against the fence. Um, he, he kind of doesn't dig his overhook deeply enough for that wizard, and he tends to give his back up. And you know what Joe Selecki is excellent at doing? Taking the back. And once he takes the back, he will either submit you or he will dominate you for the rest of that round. He will not let you back up. And I tend to think he might be able to get enough of the enough control and enough domination in those first two rounds in order to win the fight and maybe look rough in the third round against Joe Close, who's going to come on strong but I'm giving the slightest of edges for that reason to Joe Selecki but I'm glad you're making this pick because this is a low confidence uh pick for me it's hard to be confident in either of these guys both are very capable in some ways I will say about Joe Selecki really good from top position not nearly as good from bottom right if you end up on top of Drakkar Close ends up defending takedowns and getting up on top which is takedown defense has improved over the years um He's going to be fine from top position. He's going to be fine standing against Joe Selecki. Joe Selecki's improving there as well. Um, I, I do think Joe Selecki might be able to take the back enough times, but this is one that could go either way, so uh, I don't blame you for edging Jerkar close. I feel like you do well in these close-on-paper uh, close matchups when it comes to picking them. My next pick <clears throat> is going to be... Yeah, this is all this is all different kind of territory. I'm going to take Wellington Terman. My boy, Wellington Terman, Nikolai... To be Jared Gooden. Is it... Here's the thing. Jared Gooden is a mediocre fighter. He's a regional scene fighter. He's going to have mostly success in the regional scene at the UFC level. I think it's more of a mental thing. He's got power, low output. Um, he has decent decent striking, not the greatest defense. Not the best chin. He gets he gets shaky quite a few times throughout multiple of his UFC fights. Willing to determine, not the best chin, but pretty good wrestler, pretty good grappler. Pretty decent standing. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but you don't necessarily have to be against uh, Jared Gooden. Could Jared Gooden catch Jalen Terman, uh, Wellington Terman, excuse me, with the big shots of the chin? Yes, but Wellington Terman training in in uh, Connecticut with Golva Chichera, with Alex Pereira. Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and be confident in the guy with proper UFC experience and who's had some UFC success. Also, 18 and eight 
Jared Gordon, that's his record, 18 and 8. 18 and 7 for Wellington Tournament. Wellington Tournament earned that 18 and 7 record at the highest level. So I'm going to go ahead with uh, Wellington Tournament, who has a slightly better record at a much higher level, versus Jared Gooden, who can, you know, who who is only kind of dreaming of a of a UFC win. I think he might have you always one. always hanging from Wellington Tournament. So My guy, Wellington Tournament, still a prospect. He's going to be champ. He's going to be champ. I tell you, he's not going to be champ of of the UFC at all. Not even interim, Nick. Not even like title shot worthy. But not even interim title shot worthy. But I do think he can win this fight. By the way, just for the record, quickly. Um, you said you're on the Bobby Green hype train. Uh, would you pick Bobby Green if that was your pick? Um, I believe it was at plus two, so yeah. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Good to know. I like it, Nick. What's next? I'm going to go in the main event. Uh, I'm going to pick Saryukin over Benil Daryush. Um, you know, tough fight over five rounds, but Daryush, you know, he's almost he's almost been there a couple of times and fallen. Um, and he's got, you know, he doesn't have a great chin, and Saryukin's going to be a lot faster, you know, everywhere. I think that it's just one of those things where I don't think I don't think this is a particularly good matchup for for Benil Dariush. I think I think Saryukin's a more diverse fighter. Um, I, th- I think mostly this comes down to him being him being more agile. I don't think he's gonna he's gonna be there for Daryush's takedowns. I don't think he's gonna be there for Daryush's power shots. I think he I think he's just gonna basically be able to outcraft uh, Daryush, uh, get him tired, and maybe if he's quick enough, hurt him. Because if Daryush does not see a shot coming, chances are he's gonna be hurt by it. Like he's a, he's he. I don't like to accuse a guy of having like a poor chin. It's just he's. He's shown that he's not um, he's not particularly durable. Um, he's gotten buzzed or seriously hurt or knocked out like a bunch of times for a high for a high level lightweight with only five losses. Um, we haven't seen, you know, there was the Makachev loss and then that ga- that Gamrat fight, which if I have to remember the end of it, but I mean that was a very very close fight. I can't remember if I left thinking that. Saryukin uh, was going to win, but Gamrot has that same power that that Saryukian has. He has endless energy, is extremely adaptable, and can shift uh, flawlessly from all like gamuts of the game. Daryush is still kind of traditionally a wrestle boxer, and uh, wrestle think, boxer, interesting. You don't, I mean, you don't think Daniel Daryush is a wrestle boxer? I think Saryukin is a wrestle kicker. I don't know that Daryush is, uh, is an elite grappler once he's on the ground. Daryush is really diverse standing. His kicks are fantastic. He's got that southpaw game. It's not just wrestle boxer. He's not like throwing overhands, jabs and overhands into a takedown. Um, he's an elite grappler on the ground. He's a very good wrestler, and he's really effective standing up, and he's got a varied game. I, I, I would I would say Tariqan's closer to a wrestle boxer than, than, uh, than Daryush is. But again, it's a matter of opinion. Okay. Well, I'm going with Sorry, you good. Yeah, I feel that. Um, so I, I actually saw this as a two-point opportunity. Maybe would have made the pick next because, you know, we have this habit, and, and this is not unusual, especially particularly in fight sports, particularly in sports in general. I would think I'm just less of a fan of other sports, so I'm not as familiar. Where we ride the momentum and the odds are, are what determine that momentum, right? Charles Oliveira 
buzz through the top, top, top guys in this division. And then he lost to, you know, maybe the pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet. And then he was a decent-sized underdog against Dariush. And now Dariush, who buzzed through, you know, the guys like Gamrot, guys like Tony Ferguson, Diego Ferreira, like pretty respectable opposition. Um, and he was good. He's, he lost to Charles Oliveira, and now he's a big underdog to Armand Sarikian. But let's keep in mind, Armand Sarikian, who went neck and neck and had an extremely tight fight with Mateusz Gamrot, Gamrot got handled by Dariush. And so we have to factor that in. Another thing we have to factor in is that Bernard Dariush just got knocked the fuck out. Now, Taryukin's not the heaviest hitter in the world, but he did show a pretty good check hook. He's got a varied, consistent Not just knocked the game. fuck out. Uh-huh. He, was at the, he was at the top. He was inches away from the, t- the title yeah. shot. Yeah, so, so there's a mental element to it. No, I, I, do, I do hear that. I do think Dariush is the kind of guy who might, you know, if his durability sticks through, he might be able to persevere through this thing. He's done it before. He's a guy that's been, I mean, that's been left on the canvas waking up many times, and he's had to rebuild, and he's done it before, right? Um, it's just like, it's not like, it's not like uh, uh, Taryukan is known for his knockout power per se, even though he has the ability to do that. He's really, he's an excellent wrestler, um, Taryukan is. Excellent, excellent wrestler. He went neck and neck in a very competitive fight against eventual champion Islam Makhachev in his UFC debut, dude. And I could be mistaken, I think it was on short notice. And he kept up with Gamrot. And it, well, kept up with Gamrat, but again, Gamrat couldn't keep up with Dariush. So if we're talking about talking about well, that was man, that was a little different. Gam, Gamrat was mass was massively undersized against Dariush and got hit with and got knocked silly. Okay, for this whole this thing about Gamrat being a tiny man is crazy to me. This crazy theory you have, but again, he let's say that's so true. Small. This small, tiny guy had a very competitive fight with Taryukan and beat him. And granted, some people think maybe it could have gone the other way. Um, MMA decisions is like, you know, more for Taryukan than than Gamrot, but still plenty of Gamrot, Gamrot picks there. Um, and so, like, I, I think this idea that he should be this huge favorite over Dariush is crazy. Could he knock him out? Yes. The funny thing about this matchup is the guy with less experience, the guy who hasn't been in the UFC for umpteen years, the guy who's not number three in the world, but number eight in the world, that guy is the guy who has the five-round experience, which is fascinating. How often does that happen? Benil Daryush, and I'm looking at his, uh, I'm looking at his record. I don't think he's ever been past the, past the third round, in his career, Nick. That is nuts considering how high level he is. And so that could be an, an element on top of the youth, on top of the durability advantage. That could be an element in favor of Taryukan. Again, if I had to make this pick, I probably would have picked Dariush for two points. I was hoping I could catch him at plus 250 for three points. In that case, I definitely would have picked him, and I would have picked him earlier than this. But Taryukan, to me, is the truth. He's a prospect I've been watching since before his UFC debut. When I watched tape on him leading up to that um, leading up to that uh, Mahashev fight, I remember thinking, like, this kid's going to be really competitive. It sucks that he has to... That's to have this fight for his UFC debut. And he's shown that he is truly, truly, extremely skilled. He's got all the potential on the planet and could be could be knocking on the door of a title shot, especially if he can win, get this win. He has an argument, certainly a good argument to be made for a title shot. And I think that Mahachev might prefer to fight him over some of those names that, you know, presumably Mahachev could get rid of, like like Justin Gaethje and uh, Dustin Poirier. Um, I'm... I. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna edge Dariush by 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 an inch, but again, his chin might might be truly affected long term from that knockout that he just took. Chin was never awesome to begin with. Uh, it's just Armand Sarikian is not extremely 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 dangerous like Charles Oliveira. He just simply is not. Very few. In fact, nobody else in MMA is that dangerous. And 
that danger factor is what decided that last fight. So I'm, I'm going to still believe in the guy who, you know, unless his durability is washed, unless he's mentally really washed, I'm going to believe in Dariush by just a centimeter. If odds were tight, I probably would have edged as you can. But man, the, the, these odds are very enticing to me. Um, next, I'm going to take in the matchup between Zach Reese and Cody Brundage. Here's the thing. Cody Brundage is a huge underdog too. If you see UFC debuting guy who's only 6-0, who's never gone to the second round in his pro career. So there's some concerns there, right? But Cody Brundage falls apart after the first round. Cody Brundage, on his way to falling apart, makes horrible, horrible decisions all of the time. Terrible decisions. He's supposed to be a good wrestler, and instead of defending takedowns, he dives for a guillotine. Can he catch a guillotine against Zach Reese? Zach Reese? Maybe. Zach Reese's only loss between his pro and amateur careers to Kevin Holland in his uh, amateur debut. You know, not, not anything major to be ashamed of. He, you know, he's a finisher, man. He's a finisher on the ground. He's a finisher standing up. He's dynamic everywhere. He's dangerous everywhere. And Cody Brundage is the kind of guy who will find that banana peel. If there is a 9,000 square foot room and there's a banana peel on one little portion of that room, Cody Brundage is going to walk over there and he's going to step right on it. And the only reason he's coming off of a win is because he didn't want to continue to fight after Jacob Malcolm dominated him. He landed some shots to the back of the head, which weren't like fight ending or, or, or didn't make that much of a difference, but he didn't want to fight again. He, he, he basically quit after the UFC gave him another chance, gave him another contract because he always steps up for them on short notice. Um, they're giving him the most winnable matchup he's had in a while, right? Cedric Dumas, I mean, I don't know. You lose to Cedric Dumas, so you're probably going to lose to Zach Reese. My concern with Zach Reese is what happens after the first round? What if Cody Brundage does survive that first round? Will he will he have the cardio? We've seen this time and again. We just talked about that matchup uh, between one of the um, who, who was that um, who who's the guy that that I that we started this episode talking about who who lost uh, who was your first pick who was your first pick in the last uh, last time we picked? Hold on, I'm talking about Gabriel Bonfim is another guy. Just a bunch of first round finishes, huge favorite, right? And then as soon as that fight goes past the first round, everything falls apart for him. Difference is that Cody Brundage is a terrible fighter, and and the guy that uh, the guy that um, shit the names names always fuck with me. The guy that Bonfim was fighting, Nicholas Dalby, is a really crafty veteran. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and believe in the young prospect, even though I see some serious risk here, and I can see Cody Brundage, you know, catching guillotine or something crazy like that. What you got, boy? Oh boy, I don't want to pick this fight, but I guess I will. Um, <clears throat> And where does he train? Okay, he's a that's right, he's a Philly guy. Listen, Sean Brady got pieced up in his last fight by Bilal Muhammad, who just out outworked him, and he got very, very tired. Gastelum looked reborn against Chris Curtis, of co- but in a fight that could have gone either way, where he did have there was an accidental foul that favored into it, but he did go toe to toe with a great puncher. Um, and, and, you know, and came out uh, pretty well. The, this fight's going to come down to can Brady get Gastelum down. And Gastelum, although he's a wrestler, his defensive wrestling's never been terrific. If this ends up being a boxing match, though, Calvin Gastelum can hurt Sean Brady. He can hurt Sean Brady badly. Um, he, he hits hard. And the, 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 the question is, how many... Will Gastelum be able to defend against spam clinches and spam takedowns um, and have enough time over three rounds to land. The other thing that's weird is these guys, I know it's going to sound crazy, they're the same age. Gastelum just 
Yeah, because Bra- I mean, Brady seems like a, a prospect we're still figuring out and learning about. Gaslam's been up and down the mountain like four times. Um, and my brain uh, says to pick Sean Brady because he's gonna ha- he's gonna have control over the three rounds, but it's late in the season, and I've always been a Gastelum mark. So, uh, and this fight's close to even. There's no dog pick. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick an in shape. Uh, Fast hands, Kelvin Gastelum, uh, to defend enough takedowns to to show off um, to show off those very fast hands. And if we learn anything about Sean Brady against Bilal Muhammad, it's that Sean Brady doesn't quite know what to do with fast hands. So it's tricky, right? Bilal Muhammad losing to him the way he did isn't a great look. Bilal Muhammad's not known as being like a fucking heavy hitter, but Bilal Muhammad is a top, top, top flight. Oh, that that was it. Wasn't the, it's not like those were psychotic power shots he over he overwhelmed them he landed he a ton that was vo- that was death by volume yeah and and, and it is concerning that sean brady kind of gave up in that in that moment right like see, seeing a a, a guy he was gassed yeah and again also concerning for a guy that's extremely muscular and like like known for being very physically powerful and strong <clears throat> for him to have gas like that and calvin gashlam here's the thing if you look at his record yeah his his record over the last several years really, really as bad as he's two and five in his last seven fights. Even if you go back a couple of fights prior to that, it's not like he was on a big winning streak, right? He lost to Chris Weidman, Israel. These Adesanya. are all elite fighters, though. Yeah, like, but not the, only the that, the Adesanya fight, all-time yeah. great, all-time great title fight. He could yeah. have gotten the win against Till. Till fights are weird. No, Till, Till, Till he, Till he, he made he he did his one-two and nothing else until knew that was coming until beat him fairly, in my opinion. But go on. Yeah. And I mean, Hermanson was a was a bad look. Uh, he got caught. Yeah, Whit- Whitaker and Cannoneer, like top, like top top guys. Like yep. he's been fighting top top guys. Also, it's fair to say that that Israel Adesanya fight took some years off of his career. No he doubt fought, about it. He, he fought his ass off. He was ready to die in there, and they both took extreme extreme damage. He had Adesanya hurt hurt worse than anyone until Pahea. Um and yeah, that's. I think it's taken him, but he did. He did look and feel. Uh, I hesitate to use this term, but reborn against Chris Curtis. I take Chris Curtis really seriously. I don't think he's an easy out for anyone. No. And uh, and got and you know and Gastelum took what he took what he could give. I will say though, Chris Curtis was kind of seen as a journeyman entering the UFC, whereas Sean Brady was kind of seen as maybe a future title contender. So like the ceiling on paper for both these guys is different. We're going to find that out with Sean Brady over the next, you know, year or so. But the losses that Kelvin Gastelum has, Israel Adesanya, Darren Till, Jack Hermanson, Robert Whitaker, Jared Kennanier, Chris Weidman, all large middleweights. He's coming back to 170 pounds now. He beats guys who are Ian Heinish's height, who are, who are not much bigger than Kelvin Gastelum. Chris Curtis was not much bigger than Kelvin Gastelum. Sean Brady, not much bigger than Calvin Gastelum. Big experience discrepancy there. Is Sean Brady the better grappler if he's on top? Yeah. Is Sean Brady physically stronger? Maybe, probably, but you know, not a bad situation to be walking into a fight against Sean Brady if you're used to fighting much, much, much bigger men, much stronger. Well, I don't know if they're much stronger, but they're certainly much bigger men. Um, I'm going to agree with you on the on the pick. It does seem like there is a resurgence in the way that he fought against Chris Curtis, Calvin Gastelum did, right? He did not look good against... Whitaker or Jack Hernanier or Jack Hermanson or Darren Till. He looked terrible. All he's known for is a southpaw cross. That's really the only thing you have to worry about. He throws occasional left high kick. Um, you know, might throw a jab before that southpaw cross, but that's all he ever did back then. And against Chris Curtis, Chris Curtis, his game looked a lot more varied. If it wasn't for the headbutt, he probably would have lost that fight, if we're going to be honest. 
right? Like that, that moment in which he dropped Chris Curtis with a headbutt heavily changed the, the, the kind of the, the decision on who's going to win that round, and it shouldn't have. So, you know, Sean Brady, it, it all depends. If he's ruined by this, he's been out for a while after that embarrassing loss. I'm sure it's fucking with him. He's been quoted as saying that, you know, I would be Bilal Muhammad nine out of ten times. That was the one time. I don't know about that, dude. Bilal Muhammad is elite, and Sean Brady's yet to show that he's elite. Um, I do think if Sean Brady's on top, in top position, he's going to win. He's going to look dominant. <clears throat> Question is, can he get there and can he stay there? He's probably going to be the slower man standing. He's probably going to be the less skilled man standing. Um, a lot of it depends on which version of Kelvin Gashlam shows up, but I'm going to I'm gonna agree with you, and I'm glad you're making this pick and not me because, you know, on paper it's, it's a hard one to make. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Melquizel, Costa, and Steve Garcia. Melquizel, Costa is kind of a big favorite here, and it's hard to bet against Steve Garcia with these odds. Steve Garcia has extreme power. He's extremely aggressive. He will take whatever lumps you give him and come back and knock you the fuck out. That is what he's known for. That is what he's good at. Um, it's just, you know, part of the question is, is Costa ready for this? Costa is the slicker guy standing. He's the better fighter standing. He hits really hard. He's durable. He's mentally strong. He will not give up on himself. He trades with Shooterbox Diego Lima, which is like they breed hard-nosed, tough fighters who will not give up. Charles Oliveira, who's a guy who used to give up regularly, became a guy that barely gives up since then, right? Like this gym can do that to you. Um, and I think Miguel Costa's dynamic striking game should give him the edge here. He can get takedowns if he wants to. Garcia's takedown defense is not awesome. But when, again, when Garcia comes back up, when Miguel Costa throws a bomb, Garcia uh, Garcia will be throwing a bomb as well. And Miguel Costa runs into a man. Anybody gets hit clean by Garcia, you could get dropped. You could get knocked out. I'm going to pick Costa here, but uh, but some, with some trepidation. <clears throat> Got it. So I think this is the last pick. Um, I'm... Uh... I'll tell you what, I don't feel good about 35-year-old Davison Figueredo um, moving up. This is, yeah, this is his first fight at 135, and so much of his benefit at 125 was his size. I think Jalen Turner, I mean, I, I think that, that Rob Font, uh, who's about the same age, and has, has definitely been in some wars, um, but he looked really good against Adrian Yanez recently. Yeah, he lost to Sanhagen, Vera, and Aldo. But those guys, you know, those guys are beasts, and um, he didn't, you know, he didn't always look look bad against it against those dudes. Um, and I look at his win against Ricky Simone, who's got a body type similar to Figueredo. Like I think, um, yeah, I think Rob, Rob Font should Rob Font should be uh, strong enough and lengthy enough uh, to keep Figueredo. At distance and and piece him up. I think Rob Font has has much better boxing, and I don't I don't think figure I don't think figure eight one thirty five is going to be a successful move for a thirty five year old champ, flyweight champ. This isn't like Henry Cejudo we're talking about. I gotta I, I tend to agree with you. I think Rob Font, um, especially at these odds, he's he's worth. I'm surprised you agree with me here. But. Yeah, I mean, Davidson Figueredo, again, like, you're right, size was a big factor in his advantages at 135. I do think there's something to be said, and that, that, that this fight could determine it, something to be said about Figueredo having to cut down as much as he did, and maybe that's why he looked less dangerous and, and less overall competitive. But the guy's got a tremendous amount of five-round experience. He's looked good in the fifth round against tough opponents. Uh, he knows what it's like to hold a title. He knows what it's like to be truly elite versus Rob Fon, who's never quite hit that cost. But... 
Rafael being the much taller man, being a guy that's going to ding him at a distance with his jab, Davidson Ferguson might have a hard time stepping in and coming into range. Davidson Ferguson should be the faster fighter here. Um, and and let's face it, the more successful fighter in the UFC. And flyweight, like everybody's got high-level skills at flyweight. 135 is, is a seriously stacked division, don't get me wrong. Um, but, I, I, you know, Rob Vaughn having a 3-inch height advantage, 3.5-inch reach advantage, guy has serious power. Davidson I think Rob Vaughn's going to knock, knock him out. There, there's, it's, it's entirely possible. However, if this, this change and not having to make this insane weight, if that's going to make a difference for him, which it could, we might just see this revitalized Davidson for greater. Maybe he shouldn't have been cutting weight for the last few years, man. He's, he's way too big for that shit. Perhaps, but at thir- but at thirty five, I wonder. I just or thirty six, whatever he is. I just wonder about the law of diminishing returns. He's also been buzzed a lot. Like he yeah, took a lot of damage. He took a lot of damage in those Moreno fights. He really did. That's a lot like, of miles on him, no doubt. He didn't look good. He didn't look good in the last one, and he. Yeah, I just I I, I feel like he's a bit of a, a, ba- a battered machine. We'll see. We'll see what what damage was done over the course of that quadrilogy. Um, you know, and his and his other fights of the weight class, and what what you know what happened, what's happened to his body through the through the weight cuts. I, interesting. It's just weight weight class changes, late career, lower weight. You know, Font has been in there with large killers who have pl- who have plenty of speed. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe he hasn't seen anyone quite as is fast as Figueroa, but Figueroa's got to, he's got to get there. He's got to get in. Um, and I just think those fonts, fonts, like fonts jab is going to be a fucking problem. Yeah. That's, that's really the big, big factor, right? Like having, uh, having an extremely effective jabber in front of you, who's also significantly taller and used to fighting taller opponents. But I will say Davidson Figueroa has been training with Henry Cejudo, at least, at least like leading up to this matchup to some degree, right? uh, well, that, I mean, Cejudo is a, is a master master strategist. So he, he is, and Fight Ready has shown time and, and and honestly, I'm seeing multiple posts with Henry Cejudo for over the last couple of weeks, right? And so, if he's regularly training with Fight Ready, if he's regularly training other under, um, I forget the name of of the very eccentric head coach there. Um, ah, I, I forget his name because he's a guy that's really really passionate about being mentioned every every chance, but. Um, you know, being under the tutelage of a high-level gym that has shown the ability to turn around fighters that are on a downswing as long as they they have elite skills, you know, the, the, he's giving himself the best chance, in my opinion. But, you know, at the same time, it's not like Rob Font's going to be going for lots of takedowns like Henry Cejudo would. And it looks like just from the footage of them training together, it looks like Cejudo's able to take him down consistently. Um, yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I'm on Rob Font on this one, but it could absolutely go either way. And then, and then there's one last pick, and that is the fight between Veronica Hardy and Jamie Lynn Horth. Uh, Veronica is very fast. She's agile. She should be the better striker. She's very active from top position. Her ground and pound is aggressive, but that's also the reason she's got caught in submissions here and there. Most importantly, she is now Ver- Veronica Hardy rather than being Veronica Macedo. She married Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy is her head coach. He's got a mind for MMA. He genuinely improved her as a fighter. And him being in her corner in that last matchup when she was an underdog, you know, played a played a factor, I think. Um, and I think Jamie Lynn Hort, the lack of experience, she's only 6-0, and right? She's tall. She's a pressure southpaw striker. Uh, physically strong, still developing though, and like you know, at, at times can get hit, hit exiting the clinch. Even though she will engage in the clinch and try to hold an opponent there, there's a chance she could win the fight this way. But I'm gonna pick Veronica Hardy for that one, even though it's not an official pick for us. Yeah, I, I agree with that. 
Um, Very well, Nikolai. That will do it for this one, man. I'm looking forward to, to scoping the results. Yeah, I'm currently four points you... ahead, Nick, which is exactly where I belong. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and whatever. I made, made a huge comeback, Nick, after being uh, as much as eight or nine points behind. I've just been rallying back, and I can rallying back and rallying back. Yeah, and I don't think I don't I don't think my my picks here are gonna help me out any. Then next week we got this weird ass card with Yadong Song and Chris Gutierrez in a main event. Did someone fall out of that? How did Chris Gutierrez get that main event? I don't understand. Um, Hold on, you, Chris Gutierrez isn't Gutierrez uh, the 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 excellent low kicker? Yeah, he's a, he's a fucking good fighter. What do you mean? Like, well, yeah, but he lost to but he lost to Munoz like. A couple months ago. Yeah, that, that, that's true. I think. I think. Am I wrong to say he's picked up a win since then? He did. He did against Alatengali. Uh, yeah, and it was a, it was a pretty 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 decisive win. Uh, I will quickly let me see. He was supposed to fight Rob Font. Interesting, but that was back oh. in Sterling O'Malley. No, no th- th- this this seems to be the matchup that they had planned for this one. Dude, Chris Gutierrez is not Smith, a bad fighter. Uh-huh. Anthony Smith, Khalil Roundtree, which I hope. Which I think Anthony I Smith also that, stepped in on short notice. Yeah, that's probably that could be the end of the Anthony Smith experiment. Could be. Although uh-huh. experiment's a strong word. He's a, he's a fucking lifelong journeyman. Um, Andre Moniz, Junior Park is a is an interesting fight. Nazar Huckrust, Jamie Malarkey is interesting enough to me. That'll, that'll I mean that won't be boring. That's a yeah. that's a fight. That'll be an accurate action. Tatsura Tyra versus Carlos Hernandez is going to be intriguing. Uh, Sumaderji uh, is fighting Alan Nasimet. I mean, dude, there's some. There's Keenan some Song. This is a there's some there's some scraps. That's how I would define that. Card. Dude, there's only ten fights on this card. That's actually kind of shocking. And they're pretty. There's a lot of yeah, a lot of scrappy fighters. But it's sc- scrappy fighters who are not really top like top ten material, truly. But you know, a couple of guys. No, like, but it should be a good. It's a good action card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would tend to agree with that. This card coming up this weekend is definitely notably better. I am. I'm actually pretty excited yeah. about this one. By the way, prelim starting at that's four a, p.m. That, Eastern. That's an folks. apex card. Uh, yeah, um, that next one it makes sense. Prelim starting at four p.m. Eastern for UFC Fight Night Daryush versus Saryukan. Seven p.m. for the main card. So you know, you, you might be able to. Uh, go out and club Nikolai like you do. And after then, the like UFC's two weeks in, in two weeks, a little over two weeks, we we do have the um the last pay per view card of the year. It's already, Ed, it's Edwards Covington, one, yeah. Pantoja, Royval, Stephen Thompson against Shavkat, Ferguson Pim, Ferguson Pimblin, Luke Machado, Gary, uh, Irene Aldana versus Carol Rosa, Casey O'Donnell against Arian Lipinski, Randy Brown, Muslim Salikov. You got a little stake in that one, buddy. Um, yeah, that, yeah that some, it, Oh, that wow. Is, jo- on the prelims, pre, wait, prelim fight, Josh Emmett, Giga Chikadze. Let's go. How That's is, a damn good fight. How is, that, how is that a prelim? You would think it's a feature prelim, although it looks to me, I mean, feature prelim, so many of these fights could be on paper. Feature prelims. It's a it's a How decent card, man. Is that a pre? No, that, yeah, that is, is fascinating. That should be. I mean, I, I mean, I'd rather see that than Pimblet Ferguson. I guess I don't. You know, I guess Machado gets Machado Gary gets the nod because he's he's the up and coming star. But yeah, Emmett Chikadze is a fucking Garber Garbrand Kelleher. They found someone for Garbrand to fight who doesn't punch that hard. That's good. That's good. That's um, important. Yeah, this is yeah, this is a fun card. Yeah, it's a it's a, again a decent card. I would say uh, the pay per view card is pretty good, but the pay per view card is not much better than the fight night we have coming up this weekend. If you ask me, man, like there, yeah, there's shaft cuts uh, on that card, and that's great. Two titles on the line, uh, and it's that's got cool. Names. But outside of that, it's got yeah, it's got big, it it's got it's a it's a name. Ferguson, Pimblet, Luke, Gary, 
Um, yeah, Irina Aldana, Carol Olsa is not a not a bad name card. Ari Lipsky, Casey O'Neill. Like, dude, there's, you're right. It's got a lot of recognizable names. I have to do very little research. Um, exactly. Well, I mean, exactly. you know, compared to some of these cards where I, where I can barely name a single fighter, a, a lot less research it looks like. We'll have to go into that matchup because I'm fairly familiar with a lot of those fighters. Obviously, I'm still going to watch some take. Nikolai, that'll do it for this one. Looking forward to connecting with you this week. And uh, curious if you can... Uh, if you can um, Close the uh, close the distance between us a little bit next score watch. Yeah, I don't I don't think four I don't points think ahead, brother. Let's go. All right, my man. Later, bud.